Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. There's a reason why I said last week that I love Urban Meyer. And the reason is this. Nobody does it better than Herb. Nobody does losing better than Herb. Nobody does controversy better than Herb. He is the GOAT at both. He's the Bill Belichick of losing and the Michael Jordan of controversy. They should build a statue outside the Jag Stadium for this guy just for how awesome he is. And I know what you're thinking. How much could happen? How much could possibly happen with Herb since Friday that he would get his own take at the very top of a Monday program? It was only two days. How much more damage could this guy have done? How much more drama could there possibly be? And the answer is all of it. All of the drama. That's what happened in the last two days. Saturday, the NFL Network's Tom Pelissero dropped a report with the headline, and I quote, Tension boiling over between Coach Urban Meyer, Jaguars players, staff, a mid to intense start. I mean, I'm already laughing and just over the headline. Like, I haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. In fact, I haven't even gotten to any of this stuff yet. It was already incredible. Again, just the headline, quote, Tension boiling over between Coach Urban Meyer, Jaguars players, staff, and mid to intense start. Like, normally if you're 2-10, and ten, there's going to be some tension, right, between the head coach and ownership or the head coach and the front office. I mean, you're 2-10. and ten. You're not doing what they hired you to do. You're not good at your job. You're 2-10. and ten. Sometimes if things are awkward, there's going to be tension. Tension between the head coach and maybe a staff member or two. Maybe the offense is struggling. struggling. So the head coach and the offense coordinator are butting heads. That'll happen. I mean, you're 2-10, and ten, right? And if things are really, really so bad, then there's tension between the players and the head coach. Like, if the players don't buy in and the players are pissed about being 2-10, and ten, then there's going to be tension between the players and the head coach. But I'll tell you what never happens. I'll tell you what never, ever happens. Tension between the head coach and the staff and tension between the head coach and the players. Now, that doesn't happen. You never see a head coach having to fight a two-front war like this. It's a sign of how bad things are, a sign of how bad the situation is that Herb has multiple enemies in multiple camps. There are players who hate him, and there are coaches in their offices who hate him. And you know what? I get it. Like, listen to some of the details from Pelissero's report. Like in the very first sentence, and I quote, Months of tension surrounding Jaguars coach Urban Meyer has boiled over with multiple run-ins with players and other coaches in recent weeks. End quote. I mean, like when Perv was hired, I expected the worst. But honestly, I could have never imagined something this terrible. Like, I thought it would be dysfunctional. And I thought the situation would be toxic, but I never thought this guy would get busted on camera with a co-ed. I never thought there would be a hashtag, buddy deserved a night out. I never thought there would be some run-ins with players. I never thought there would be multiple run-ins with players and coaches in a matter of weeks. Like, in a way, I know it's my own take that saying something sucks is not a take, but this guy has sucked in every single possible way a head coach can suck. And he's invented a couple of more ways as well. 
Could you ever imagine a situation so toxic and so horrible that there'd be months of tension and multiple run-ins with players and coaches? Right, and that's just a statement of the facts, apparently. That's not even the details. Let's get into some of the deets from Pelissero. And keep in mind, this covers only the last two weeks. As part of the report, quote, Receiver Marvin Jones, one of the locker room's most respected and mild-mannered veterans, became so angry with Myers' public and private criticism of the receiver group that he left the facility until other staff members convinced him to come back and had a heated argument with Meyer during practice. I mean, that is awesome. That really is the best. Remember all that stuff about Herb being the ultimate motivator? Yeah, Scheme was not going to be a strong suit, but he was going to be able to connect with players and motivate players in ways, ways that nobody's ever done before. Yet yeah, either that or piss them all off or piss off one of the most respected and mild-mannered vets on the team to the point where that guy, a pro's pro, left the facility and had to be convinced to return. Incredible. And then there's this, quote, Contrary to his public statements that it was injury-related, Meyer ordered James Robinson's benching after an opening drive fumble in last week's 37-7 road loss to the Rams, then had running backs coach Bernie Parmalee stop Robinson from re-entering the game, insisting Carlos Hyde, who played for Meyer at Ohio State, stay in. End quote. Wait, what? Perv lied? He made something up and then ran somebody else in front of an oncoming bus in order to get hit and dragged? No way. No way. Not the pervin liar we know. The pervin liar I know is a stand-up dude who owns everything and takes the blame for everything, whether it's his fault or not. You know, like every great leader does. This dude would never ever pass the buck. This dude would never, ever point the finger at anybody other than himself. Wrong answer. Actually, that's exactly what he did, reportedly. Because last week, Perv said he had no idea why Robinson did not go back into the game against the Rams and that it was 100% Bernie Parmalee's call. In other words, Pervin doing Pervin things. And by that, I mean apparently lying. Of course, he was lying to the media last week, allegedly, when he said he didn't know why Robinson wasn't playing. You're the head coach. Either you know why your best player is not playing, and you're lying, or you don't know, and then you should be fired for not knowing why your best player is not playing. Oh, and sweet move, running Bernie Parmalee in front of that train, Herb. And you wonder why your assistants can't stand you. And speaking of the assistants, this this really is the best part. Like, it makes me laugh. Quote, during a staff meeting, Meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers. According to several people informed of the contents of that meeting, challenging each coach individually to explain when they have ever won and forcing them to defend their resumes. End of quote. I mean, if that's how that went down, 
That makes me laugh out loud every single time. Laugh out loud. A head coach telling his assistants that they're all losers is one of the best things ever. Like, that is legendary stuff right there. The head coach of a 2-10 team telling his staff, I'm a winner and you all are losers. Loser. Is incredible. Like, it's awesome. Like, I want to say it's the best thing ever. And it's even better when the guy with two wins and double-digit losses is telling everybody else he's a winner. Hey, you slacks are losers. You need to be more like me, the guy who's won two NFL games. Imagine sitting in that meeting and hearing a guy with two NFL wins. Two NFL wins. Tell all of you he's a winner, but you're all losers. Like Daryl Bevel is sitting in there with a Super Bowl ring, listening to a two-win coach calling him a loser. Hey, by the way, Lombardi, how do you think all those losers got there? They didn't hire themselves. They didn't just show up. You hired them. So if they're all losers, what does that make you? And why are you hiring all these losers? And wait, there's even more. Several Jaguar players vented their frustration to Rams players. <laughs> vented their frustration to Rams players after that game, sources say. Reiterating a common complaint that Meyer, who had no prior NFL experience, does not treat them like adults. Quote, end of quote. Man, you know it's bad when players are sticking around on the field after losing by more than four touchdowns just so they can tell the opposing team their head coach sucks. I mean, wouldn't you want to get off that field as fast as you possibly could if you got hammered again? Nah, they want to hang around and let the team that just punched them in the face let them know how much they hate their coach. So how were the Jags going to respond to all this new drama, all this new adversity, this report that Herb went way out of his way to deny? How would they respond to it? Would they rally around each other? Would they circle the wagons? No, they responded exactly the way you would expect, by getting hammered again. Titans got him. 20 nothing shut out. Third game this season with less than 200 yards of offense. Third game this season with less than 200 yards of offense from the guy who said they were going to be a 250-250 club. So that winner and all his loser coaches and players went out and got hammered and humiliated again. And this is what he had to say about the report. What's the answer? Uh, Start leaking information or some nonsense? No. No, that's nonsense. That's garbage that's uh, you know that's once again i've been very blessed i've not really dealt with that i've i've not dealt with well did you hear what he said what no let's improve on offense and get our quarterback in a position to be successful that's our focus what someone's brother said or someone said someone said that will that will occupy very little of my time and if if there is a source that source is unemployed i mean within seconds if so there's some source that's doing it. And garbage. Except that it's not nonsense or garbage. Because that initial report has been confirmed by other reports. And it's been confirmed by common sense. But way to be a tough guy and threaten to fire people. Hey, buddy, at this point, if you fired somebody for leaking something, they'd probably thank you. That's not a leak. That's a monsoon. I'll bet you if he got his whole team together and said, hey, show of hands, who leaked that? Every hand would go up. 
And they'd be like, get me out of here. Fire me. Let me go. Let me bounce. Guys are only too happy to carve you because they don't like you and they don't respect you and they don't want to play for you. How do I know that? I'm not there. How do I know that? I see it every Sunday when they take the field for you. Listen, I don't root for anyone or anything other than something to talk about. And I don't play favorites, but I'm telling you, Herb is my favorite. Or as you clones prefer, Perv. Perv and Liar. This dude is my favorite. I love this dude. I can't get enough of this dude because dude can't stop giving me things to talk about. No, I do not have a favorite. My favorite team is team content. And this dude is an absolute legend from that standpoint. Buddy walked off that field looking like he needed another night out or a month out or the rest of his life out. Have you ever seen a head coach in the NFL with worse body language or look more dejected? coming off a field than that dude did. Perv, the problem is not the leak. You want to address the problem. Look directly into the mirror. Has anybody ever passed the buck more and owned less than this guy? Like just when I think I cannot love this guy any more than I do, they get hammered and he starts lying and blaming everybody else. And somehow, some way, he raises the bar of incompetence, ineptitude, and dishonesty yet again. Like I know they're going to fire this guy. I just hope no time soon. So, because I know it's inevitable, I am just going to sit back and enjoy and appreciate every single moment that we have him around. Gratitude. Have gratitude. All good things must come to an end. And Pervin Lyer coaching in the NFL is the best thing ever. Austin Hooper. Austin, my man, good to have you back. How are you? Good, Jim. Thanks for having me. Dude, thank you for doing this. Nothing is easy. Nothing, nothing at all is easy. So how does it feel to wake up this morning after a big win over a divisional rival in December? Oh, it's huge. I mean, uh, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, we're fighting for the division, fighting to keep uh, keep our dreams alive, right? So, I mean, everything, um, you know, we put everything in that game and just for it to, you know, shake out with us on top was, was awesome, worth all the work all the energy, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, we put into it uh, week in, week out. So it was awesome to come out on top. Austin Hooper, that's well said. He's joining us once again. You know, I want to mention that touchdown that I said off the top. You had a TD in the second quarter. It was off Nick Chubb's fake run. The play capped a 77-yard drive. You got a 17-0 lead. Can you take me through the play? What did you see? And then how good did it feel to finish that play? Yeah, so I was, uh, we were in a goal line formation. We had a... uh, I want to say there were actually two uh, jumbo linemen in the game, so we want to give a heavy, uh, heavy run look, and it was a uh, inside zone run, some we knew we could take advantage of because the way other defense was structured, they pretty much had uh, one guy covering two that's blocked up right, and you get a suck uh, from linebackers pulling them in line of scrimmage. So a bluff blocking on the um, guy who's covering our jumbo tight end, Blake Hans. Uh, put hands on him, and once I saw the adjuster's eyes go in the backfield, I took off for the uh, back corner, and then our jumbo tight end, Blake, went to the front corner. So, I mean, he was put put that adjuster in a bind where he couldn't be right, and uh, Blake saw me, gave me an easy ball, and uh, happy to end the 
and the drive uh, that way. Spoken like the Stanford. I was going to say, spoken like the Stanford man that you are. Austin Hooper joining us. You mentioned the jumbo tight end. Let me ask you this. Like Harrison Bryant and David Njoku had been ruled out during the week. You know how much Kevin Stefanski likes going with three tight ends. How did you and the rest of the offense adjust to that? Yeah, good question. I mean, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, obviously not knowing David or Harry that we're going to be out till midweek. So, I mean, we just kind of had to had to adjust from there, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't anything to freak out about. I mean, definitely, obviously, would love to have our guys out there by all means, but uh, you know, that's the beauty of having other other guys out there. I mean, Blake, um, you know, obviously being a lineman, his ability to get after people in the run game, and also he actually uh, played tight end in high school, was talking about his uh, talking about his high school stats all week. It was pretty funny. So uh, he. Uh, Definitely, definitely got some confidence once you threw him a couple balls in practice. Like, oh, all right, this, you know, this could be an option. No, definitely having a predominantly blocking role. But, you know, if it hits the fan, um, you know, we could have him run a few routes as well. So, I mean, having guys are just so multiple guys who play different positions since they were in high school. Michael Dunn the same way. So, I mean, it's awesome to have guys with that uh, multiplicity and that much uh different athleticism despite them being you know 300 plus pounds dude he did it he did it but i love the fact that he's breaking out his high school stats like hey man hey man uh, don't sleep on me player. do you know what i did in high school i'm a player right how'd that go <laughs> no he definitely deserved a fine from the o-line room that week i mean he's definitely <laughs> high school harry last week but you know it was, it was worth it he played he played his tail off did a good job for it high school harry is great we're talking to austin hooper so you feel like i mean time will tell you see how you come out of this but do you feel like you're in a position right now when guys start coming back and getting healthy that you can rip off a number of wins and really get this thing rolling does it feel like that do you have that sense uh, I mean, I mean, for sure, just leaning upon the experience, I feel like we were kind of in a similar boat last year and kind of caught our stride towards the end of the year and started playing our best ball. Uh, so, I mean, if we just keep our nose to the grindstone and uh, just keep doing what we've been doing, hopefully we can catch uh, that same kind of same kind of momentum. We just got to keep working, keep trusting each other, keep believing in it, and just uh, you know take those baby steps towards our ultimate goal. Austin Hooper is joining us. Let me ask you about Miles Garrett. Austin, he made it twenty four to three with that fumble return for a TD. I mean, this dude, yeah. right? This dude is something else. He broke the team yeah, single season sack record. Like, yeah, I mean, you're around him a lot. What is it about yeah. this dude? I know physically he's really gifted, but what makes him so unique? Oh man, it's just yeah. With him, it's just like he's like similar to Julio, who I played with in Atlanta. Um, just like. You know, a guy who's just born better than you. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's like a guy that. Who's massive, jacked, uh, you know, runs like the wind. I mean, super bendy. Most guys that are that big and strong are usually stiff. But he's, you know, he's like Gumby in that sense. He can still bend and, you know, lean on edges. And, you know, evidently when he gets the ball in his hands, he's dangerous too. So, uh, you know, must be nice. He can do it all. That is a great description. I will probably be reusing that on Twitter at some point soon. I love that. Go for it. Let me thank you, Austin. I appreciate you, man. Good looking out. Let me ask you about Baker. Baker's taking some heat this season. When you see him fighting through yeah. the injuries the way he has, what is your reaction when you hear people taking runs at him and being critical of him? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's no secret. You've been doing this for a long time. I mean, head coach and quarterback, you know, they get the glory and they get all the blame too. I mean, that, that's just that's just how it goes. That's the nature of the business, nature of the position. 
I mean, when it's going great, obviously the quarterback and head coach are going to get love. When it's not, head coach and quarterback are you know, going to be tossed under the bus by everybody. I mean, it's just, you know, how it goes. But, uh, yeah, no matter where anyone who's listening to this, wherever they stand on the Baker Mayfield spectrum, you know, they're number one fan or not a fan at all. I mean, the one thing that's not up for debate is this man's level of toughness. I mean, forget football, Jim. Like, the stuff this guy, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, breaking any news here because it's all public now. But, I mean, the stuff he's playing through, man, like, forget football like that. <laughs> That sucks to just walk around and live life with, let alone, you know, staring down the barrel where you got a 300-pounder, you know, taking a shot at you while you're delivering a ball within the timing of the play. So, I mean, uh, I mean, when you got a guy like that who's willing to, you know, gut it out, I mean, you know, who the hell are you to complain about, you know, um, you know your finger or whatever, you know what I mean? So, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier just based on his leadership and just who he is as a man, who he is as a... Uh, quarterback who he is in the locker room uh, and it's one of those intangible things in sports but it does mean something and it does resonate with the guys in the locker room we, we do notice it and we do appreciate it Austin Hoover's my guest I'm going to tell you something that I appreciate that that's a response that resonates with me that's real that's authentic you don't just say that that's not some cliche I mean I can tell that you look you're not saying that unless you feel strongly about that and I'm hearing that loud no, and clear no. I'm hearing that loud and clear Listen, you came to yeah. Cleveland before last season. Obviously, that was a really mm-hmm. different year because of COVID. Austin, what's it been like yeah. to play in that city this year and have that stadium full on game day? Oh, man, Jim, it's been awesome, obviously. You know, you lead into it with, uh, with put rules being the way they were last year. I couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't experience the dog pound, couldn't experience, uh, you know, driving to the game, you know, 1 o'clock game, getting the getting to the you know, stadium by like nine thirty ten, you see people already, you know, sipping on some adult beverages out there, getting after it early. I'm like, all right, you know, this is some real energy out here. So it was, it was awesome to play in front of all those fans, just the passion and uh, everything that comes with it, man. It was, it was awesome. It's really been my first year to truly experience that, and it's, it's been something special. I love it. Austin Hoover, my guest, really quickly, because of the My Cause, My Cleats program, there's been mm-hmm. so much attention, Austin, on nonprofits, the players' support. You've been involved in supporting children in foster care with an emphasis on yep. those who get aged out of the system. For those who don't yep. know, how did you first get involved, and why is that the cause or a cause that means so much to you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I've, I've known a couple of people that, that, that grow, grew up in the system, just, uh, hearing about how difficult it is. I mean, depending on the state that you're in, I mean, they give you a few hundred bucks in a GED and say, go play life. I mean, that's, you know, that's a tough place to start the race. Um, so, I mean, I, it was something I was made aware of. And, you know, once I was, you know, got put in the situation where I'd, you know, be given the opportunity to, to give back, um, that's something I really, um, wanted to address because it's definitely, you know, unfortunately one of the uh, holes within our system. Uh, it's, you know, it is what it is. But I mean, at the end of the day, I just saw a need, looked around, saw no one else was really doing much to address. And I was like, you know, why not me? Um, so I started with that, you know, providing clothes, electronics, um, uh, just things that can help. You know, young men and women in this digital age, uh, you know, get get some putting underneath them so they have a better shot at uh, this life deal. 
Good on you, man. I like that so much. Austin Hooper, tight end for the Cleveland Browns. Two-time Pro Bowl selection. Had a TD. That's a big win. They've got a short week. They're at home against Las Vegas on Saturday. I consider this dude a very good friend of the program. Austin, man, much respect. Appreciate you so much. Great to have you on. Thank you very much for doing that. Man, I always appreciate Jim. I always appreciate you, man. Take care. Tom Izzo. Tom, it is so good to have you back. Before we get into the season, how are you doing and how is your life right now? Tom, what's going on? Well, Jim, it's good to be back. Man, you made me sound like somebody important, but it's been 21 years since we won that national championship. But I guess once you get it, it doesn't go away, you know. And I'm good, man. I just got off the phone with my boy Mariucci. Uh, I'm actually, uh, we're in finals week here, so we have a little dead time. And he's opening kind of a Ronald McDonald house back in Marquette where we went to college, and I'm going to fly up for the for the ribbon cutting, you know, they got heated scissors and a snowmobile suit for me. So we're going up there and trying to get some things done and everything else has been going good. We're playing decent. Uh, I got a good team. I don't know if it's great yet. Played an incredible schedule so far and, uh, you know, we're surviving. By the way, you always do, and I'm going to get to that. I, I want to say, uh, I appreciate what you say when you say, yeah, I got that national championship, but I got it 21 years ago, but you do have it. You will always have that. Nobody can take that from you, but you sound great. You sound great. The energy is there, yeah. and we'll find out about the team, right? So you're 9-2. and two, yeah. You're 2-0 in conference. You're coming off a win over Penn State on Saturday where Tyson Walker had 10 points and 9 assists. Tom, of course, he transferred in from Northeastern. What has he brought to the team thus far and the program since he arrived? Well, for my own fault, we kind of lost the recruit that we thought we had. He ended up at Oregon, and then he transferred from there. And so we kind of were point guardless last year. And, you know, you're a big sports guy. You know, if you don't have a Magic Johnson, if you don't have a Tom Brady, it's it's hard in each sport. You know, you've got to have somebody running the team. I tried to put a square peg in a round hole. It was all my fault last year, and it didn't work out so good. So he's a true point guard. He comes from a program that was very well coached. Uh, Bill was a good coach at Northeastern, great kid, good student, and we've, uh, you know, we've been lucky because uh, hungry to be at this level, you know, move up a notch, which means uh, he's been very coachable and uh, starting to get a feel for our team and how to do it the way we need it done, and he's uh, gotten better every game in the last three, four games, and we've gotten better, you know, after a tough loss to Baylor, who I find out might be even better than I thought. I thought they were good in the Bahamas. But I thought Villanova might beat him, and they smoked Villanova. So uh, Scott Drew's done a hell of a job there, too. Tom Izzo joining us. You know, I'm going to go back to that in a minute. But the point that you just made, in fact, this is not the first time you said this. As an example, before the season, you told the Athletic, quote, you always want to find another alpha. Everybody needs somebody. There was a time Aaron Henry had to step up. Somebody's got to step up. But I like the depth, and I like the fact that I think we have multiple guys that can do it. So let me ask you this. Like, when you do you identify a single alpha, and if so, is that going to be Walker, or can you have multiple guys who can play the role or be an alpha? Well, you like to have one or two, you know, you like to have some alpha dogs that you know you can go to. That's still in the part of the process here. Process is a word nobody wants to use anymore. You know, everybody wants instant. And, uh, you know, we're a third of the way in, and we're starting to figure out, you know, Gabe Brown has been pretty good for us, and Walker's been good. Our best recruiter, McDonald's guy, uh, you know, Max Christie, is maybe one of our most talented guys. And he's played really well. He just hasn't shot as well yet. And that's his strongest suit. So I think as he shoots better, we're going to go from maybe really good to where we could actually uh, surprise even me because we're, 
we're really good defensively, and I didn't think we'd be as good defensively. And it's been our offense a little bit in the half court. Our fast break has been awesome, but we haven't shot it as well in the half court. We're starting to get better at that. Part of that, I think, is the point guard's getting better. And as Max and a couple other guys shoot a little better, uh, then we're going to be there. But I, I don't think we're, we're kind of like the Valentine team we had a couple years ago that went to the Final Four. Uh, we uh, we don't have maybe as many stars, but we have uh, pretty good depth, and we have a lot of good good players. Talking to Tom Izzo. Tom, I want to ask you about Zach Randolph for a minute because on Saturday he became the first player to have his number retired by the Memphis Grizzlies. What does that moment like that mean to you personally as a head coach? And then how would you describe that connection that Zebo had with the city and the fan base? God, I, you know, I, I did a, a little deal for the ceremony, you know, a little video deal. And I recruited a kid from Southern California this year, which we don't do a lot. And we got a kid that lives 15 minutes He's going to a prep school 15 minutes from Zach's house, so I talked to him a couple times when I was out there. And You know, I, I remember when the Grizzlies called, and, you know, Zach had traveled from Portland, and then, you know, we went to New York when there were some problems there, and and uh, they asked me about him. I said, he's one of the great teammates of all times. He's just an unbelievable kid. He was great in the locker room. I mean, he didn't even start here, Jim, and, and he was good, but we were good then, too. we just come off the national championship, Jason Richardson, guys like that. But Zebo was one of those fun-loving big teddy bears that I loved him. And, uh, you know, still talk to him uh, to this day. And uh, she does a lot for a lot of people. And he's got, a, he's got a daughter, actually, that's a very good player. So um, I was excited for him. I thought, I thought Memphis, you know, a little smaller city compared to some of the places he'd been, um, was perfect. I went down there. I took my son down there a few years ago. It was Zach Randolph Day, and God, he was in the stands before the game. I thought he was the mayor. They said he could have ran for mayor. So pretty thrilling for him and, and, and really rewarding for us, too, because uh, I've watched that kid come a long way and love him. He's great. Talking to Tom Izzo, you know, I'm going to follow you up on that. Like, for instance, when you're in the game, Tom, as long as you have been, I'm kind of curious, like, what are the moments that you remember and cherish the most? Is it the wins, the championships, or maybe is it about the practices and seeing your players grow and then having these guys come back to the program and stay a part of your life decades later? Oh, it's, it, that's an easy answer, Jim. Really basic, simple, easy the last one by far is the best one. You know, we had what we call grind week, and all our pros, Draymond, and those guys came back. A lot of the former players came back. Magic still comes back here a lot. We have an alumni thing every year. We don't have it just for championship years. The players coming back for me, because if players didn't like where they were at or didn't like you, they wouldn't come back. So that, to me, is the ultimate, uh, I, you know, Having players back every year is almost bigger than another championship. That's how important it is to me. And uh, and then watching them, I said, you know, when you're from a small town like Mariucci and I were from, and you make it to where we made it, um, I say everybody's got dreams, but I got a chance to live mine. Well, now I, I watch players like Zach Randolph, where he came from, and in Indiana, and uh, what he went through, and I got a chance to see him live his dream. That's very rewarding, and then to be able to share it with them when they come back, is that's the most fun of all those great things. Championships, practices, games, big games, Final Fours are great, but you get the nail on the head, my man. That's the best.
Tom Izzo joining us. So before you go, Tom, I want to ask you about two neighborhoods that we're talking about here. You talk about a small town that you and Mooch are from. I'm curious. You're at 652 career wins. You're closing in on John Wooden. And as a kid from Iron Mountain, what does it mean to you to know that you're in the second neighborhood I'm going to mention, John Wooden's neighborhood? <laughs> well, I'll never forget the first time I met John Wooden. uh was at the Wooden Awards uh, back when I had Mateen Cleaves 20 years ago, and I was in such an awe of him then. And I remember telling Bill Russell, I said, uh, wow, the guy even knew my name. It was right after we won it. And he says, yeah, you know, you're, you're doing well. And then before I left, he says, remember, Tom, you got one. John had 10. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of shrunk down. I was smaller than I am. But it's a great neighborhood. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, when people start talking about your win totals, I also remind people I'm 500 and I think 16 now behind Mike Krzyzewski. So, so it's exciting to be in, in certain neighborhoods, but got a long ways to go to uh, a lot of people to look up to, too, that are mentors. And John Wooden definitely, for all of us basketball coaches, was a mentor. Tom Izzo, my guest. All right, finally, back to the schedule really quickly. Tom, you know, we've been talking about scheduling up. I had Nate Oates on. I had Kelvin Sampson on. And we talked about their willingness to schedule tough non-conference games. Your name has come up in those conversations because you set the standard by regularly seeking out tough opponents at the start of the season. What do you learn about yourself and your team in those games? You know, I'll tell you what what, what changed it for me, my my first year here, we were supposed to be on TV twice. That was the package. And Michigan State was only on once because we weren't very good. And, and I said, I want to play. I'll play anybody to be on TV. So Seth Greenberg called me. He was at South Florida. He says, we got a deal. I need a big team. I said, fine, I'll come to your place. I did that. And then I got a call from a guy named John Cheney, as you remember, at Temple. I didn't know John Cheney. He says, I hear you're looking for a game to get on TV. I said, I am. He said, well, I'll play you. And I said, no, thanks. <laughs> you know, the, those teams were so tough, and he was such a good coach. And so I played him. Uh, and he said, I'll come to your place first. And I realized, I said, this guy is a veteran coach, and he wants to come to some rookies for the first time. You know, what, what is this all about? Well, came here, he, he beat us by one. We went to his place the next year. Pepe Sanchez hit a shot at the buzzer. We had a 16-point lead, and they beat us by one again. And after the game, he came into our bus and he told our players, you know, that they were tough and it was Cleves in that bunch. They were young then. And, and he looked at me and he said, just keep scheduling like you are. It'll get you somewhere, son. Mm. Head is if you did not have the biggest head in the world already. You had yourself a weekend head. My man, how are you living? Almost as good as you are, Jim. Pretty damn good right now, man. Hell of a day yesterday. A hell of a day yesterday is right. Really quickly, if you're new to the program and we do have new affiliates, new listeners, the big head, James Kelly, is actually a member of the XR48 staff. He works on the show, but he's got a knack. He's got a knack for data and analytics and picking games. So we started doing this, and he's done it really well. Now, for the haters, for the haters and the other losers who have nothing better to do in their lives than come at you, why don't you remind everybody, head, how you did this weekend and what your numbers are are over the past two weeks so on air the last two sundays we are a combined nine and one but nothing was better than yesterday we went five and oh on air i also hit another three off air so i went eight and oh jim including seven favorites for all the chalk haters out there 
and I won a big horse race as well. So. My man, let's can we go ahead and address that right for all the <laughs> chalk haters out there? If they're new to this and they don't know what that means, not that chalk. There are two different chalks, right? It's confusing, Alvin. We have chalk who works here, Count Chocula. Right. And then we have the chalk haters that you're talking about. Who are the chalk haters? Dude, there's a loud vocal group on Twitter that absolutely hate me playing the favorites. That I'm like, it's not like I'm not giving up points, but they despise it. They hate it. They hate the strategy, but they just don't understand, Jim. I identify ass. I make money off ass, and I lay the points. That's how we do this thing. I identify ass. I make mm-hmm. money off ass. And that's how I do this thing. You know what that is? Look, I understand. I'm not here to hate the haters. I'll give you an example. It's kind of like when they went against Straight Up G. There was mm-hmm. a lot of talk about, hey, man, I'm betting I will beat him. I will beat him. Yes, he's two to one, but he's never routed. He's never run that far. That is not a good value. I'm not that guy. I'm not a punk. I'm not going to go chalk. And then what happened? Chalk. He, he well, he wasn't. He went off as the second choice, but right. he drew off. So, hey, by the way, sometimes there's a reason they are chalk, and you can make money on chalk, right? That's right, man. Don't get greedy all the time, and just play what you have and identify ass. Yeah. All right, let's get identify to it. it. Ran, right. and, and when we say identify ass, I want to be very careful. Number one, we probably shouldn't even use the phrase ever, but ass ass in this case refers to something that is below average, way below average. Ass. Serial ass. Okay, there you go. Rams and cards. Here it is. Head. Great, great matchup. Mm -hmm. You're feeling great about you. You know it's a humbling game. You know it will remind you how humbling it is quickly, but this is a tremendous matchup with great implications overall. Let me ask you this really quickly. How has the line moved over the past few days, and where is it at last look? So it opened up at cards minus two and a half. It moved earlier in this week that you mentioned earlier. You could have got Arizona for minus one point, but it's pushed back up to minus two and a half is what I just saw in win bets. Minus two and a half cards. Hmm. I got them at one point. I saw them at minus one on the ninth. All right, so it's moving around. I love the matchup. Not an easy game to pick. How do you see it, Head? How are you playing this game? I'm not going chalk here, Jim. I'm taking the Rams and two and a half points here. Look, in their first game, L.A. turned the ball over early and often. Stafford needs to protect the football, and they need to win the turnover battle. If they could do that, they could win this game, and they might be able to do it tonight. Arizona is the best team in the NFL at creating 2.7 takeaways a game on the road. But at home, they are tied for third worst in the league at getting less than one take takeaway a game. And overall, the Cardinals are a different team at home than they are on the road. They are three and two at their place compared to seven and zero oh away from huh. uh, their place. So I also like the fact that LA has ran the football very, very good on the road, and that's what very, they very to do. well, very, 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 very well. well. On the road. Still functional illiterate. Go ahead. <laughs> Against a Cardinals defense that allows 4.7 yards per carry, the 29th worst average in the NFL. Also, Jim, spread numbers. Arizona is the second best team in the NFL against the spread. But before that week four loss, Sean McVay has been 7-0-1 against the Cardinals via the spread. This is the first time he's been an underdog against Arizona since he's been the coach of the Rams. Ram it. 
plus two and a half. Well, you know what's, what's really interesting is, I mean, I'm looking at the matchup and we're going ATS. I just feel like that game, if you got that game at minus one, that's very different than getting that game at minus two and a half. And I could mm-hmm. argue either side, but it really depends on what that number is. Are there any, this much we know about Arizona now, this is not a team with a couple of good players. They've got playmakers all over the field on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Are there any key individual matchups because I'd say the same thing about the Rams. Mm-hmm. Any key individual matchups that you are looking forward to? I'd love to see Jalen Ramsey on DeAndre Hopkins, but for some reason the Rams like to put their linebackers on the opposing team's best wideout like they did with Devontae Adams. So, Ouch, dude. That yeah. sounds kind of personal. Yeah, a little bit. I think I lost some money on that. Uh, but, obviously. You know. <laughs> All right. If I don't see that, I actually want to see this Cards right. run game right. via that Rams run defense. Week four. Arizona ran for 216 yards on the ground. Advanced metrics say the Rams' run defense is very, very good, but they also said that about Buffalo last week before New England uh, gave them that ass-kicking. I want to see those guys in the trenches, Jim, that Rams' run D against that Cardinals' offensive line. I like that matchup. I got a feeling we're going to see some Ramsey v. Hopkins. I think we're going to see that, and I can't wait to see that. Is there? All right, so you're going to take Rams plus two and a half because mm-hmm. Arizona's not as good on the road. We'll see how they do in prime time under the lights. And first of all, congrats on an amazing weekend. Thank Is you. there anything else or anybody else you want to address while you're here? Because as great as that weekend was, Head, it might not have been a perfect weekend for you. It might not have been a perfect weekend, but hey, you know, futures, we talk about them all the time, right? And whether or not they're fun, it takes too long to wait them out. But before the season started, you had me on and we went through several of these, right? So right now is actually when they're fun, Jim. And before the season started, we hit Tom Brady and Miles Garrett. And right now, they are both favorites to win the MVP odds and then a defensive player of the year. We hit Tom Brady at plus 1400 before the season started he is right now the clear favorite at minus 150 this morning way ahead of Aaron Rodgers at plus 600 so this is when those futures get fun and Miles Garrett we hit him at plus 500 Rams fan wanted to give me the hands for Aaron Donald but right now he's plus 300 so we got some good value and that's when this stuff starts getting fun the last four weeks of the year. I well, see so you know it's great when I say to you you did not have a perfect weekend what you did is you spun it into another example of you having a perfect weekend what I was doing was I was nicely admired. setting you up to own that Amanda Nunes lost oh, over the that. weekend oh, oh yeah, yeah that yeah that yeah, yeah that and Dustin Poirier he lost right too. yeah right and what do you have to say for yourself not surpri- surprised on Nunez, of course. Nobody saw that one coming, but uh, Charles Oliveira did not surprise me in one. It's exactly how he said he would win. If he did win, he choked him out, got his back, did that kind of stuff. But the Nunez lost, yeah, that's Buster Douglas type stuff right there. I did not see that coming. Credit to Juliana Pena for exhausting her, wearing her out, and then tapping her. That was incredible, actually. Amanda Nunez, who I have profound respect for, dude. She's the GOAT. She was minus 1,000 in that fight. And it just goes to show that anybody can lose really quickly, Head, because maybe there's five of us listening right now, but you are all about the equine game, too. I want to I say something really quickly about the race, just really quickly. Mm-hmm. We were at Los Alamitos, and where I was watching the race, and the track looked beautiful, and the facility was great, and we were treated extremely well. It was so good to be back. I had not been back there for a while. I will say this. 
the one thing about that track is it does not have that jumbo screen that you see at some other races. So where we were watching the race from, we were at a vantage point where there was no monitor. There are monitors all over the place, but we went down lower, and it was kind of hard to pick up the race at large junctures of the race. And I honestly at one point said to Richie Baltus, our trainer, like, dude, where is he? Is he still near the front? And Richie said, Jim, your horse is still on the lead. I'm curious, what was it like for you to watch that thing at home? Because you are a big fan, not only of Straight Up G, but you loved his dad, Straight Fire. It was amazing on the whole thing. So the start was perfect, got out perfectly. The jockey, great, great race by the jockey. The splits were awesome. We, You and I kind of talked about what we hoped for before the race started in his first quarter mile fraction and then his second one. They were sitting perfect, but the big question was, Jim, as you saw him on the back stretch down there, come to the corner and the home stretch, would he have enough in the tank to do it? And I'm just sitting there, I'm, okay, here we go, here we go, about three or four horses around him. And they were didn't coming even, for him, and they were coming for they him. They were coming for him. The jockey didn't even have to ask much, and he had it, which is a big, big deal because that was a mile race. That is his longest race he's had of his career, and he got the distance, no problem. He ran away with it. Somebody at the end kind of made a run at him. The second fa- or the actual favorite of the whole thing, which is another very good horse, but he just couldn't come up close to straight up G. It was an amazing win, and knowing his father and you know his racing career, it was a big question to see if he could get the distance. And dude, that was the best thing of yesterday. I'll say that. Seriously, of all the games you got right, all the things you got right, that was your favorite thing yesterday. Yeah, because it just leads to a lot more. I mean, whatever it leads to, we'll see. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yep, knock on wood. All right, let's end that right there. All right, head really quickly. For those jumping in late, who do you have tonight? Rams plus two and a half at Arizona. Ram it, and he's on one. He's on a heater. He's had the best two weeks he's ever had. You want to fade him? You want to risk that, or you want to play the hot hand? Tweet that out. I'll retweet it. Great job, Head. Thanks for working a 30-minute work week. Good night now!